Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Rx Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy. This is my wife, Cynthia Solo Kennedy. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sin. So today we're going to talk about codependency and how that affects relationships because it really does really disintegrate relationships. If you don't have proper boundaries, if you don't have a proper sense of self and you search for your identity in someone else, it's going to cause some some trouble for you. And Sin and I both see people who are in codependent relationships because they never really learned boundaries. A lot of them had trauma as children. They never really learned how to look after themselves in a way, aka me. You know, I I'm not a very I'm not very good at cooking. I'm not very good at cleaning. I was never shown any of these things. So I, I kind of codepend Cynthia a little bit as far as the cleaning goes because she's always trying to 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 move me into cleaning and I forget I I don't remember there I have a block for this because I think we do have blocks for our own traumas in childhood so for me to clean I mean I, it's not that I'm a complete slob by any means would you say she waits uh, for a second not a complete slob. Okay. Well, there's a there's a ringing endorsement for you as far as that goes. So here we go. We're right on to codependency right off the bat. This is awesome. So it's really talking about how people can interact together, feel like each one is sort of pulling their own weight in a way. There are some things that I do better than Sin in the relationship. There are some things that she does better than me. And can you have this newfound concept of, you know, being dependent and what what does he call it? Dependent, alpha. Being sort of alpha, and then sort of being the receptive, and and I think a good relationship is you go back and forth between the two, and that's why I don't clean that much. So I let <laughs> I let her take the lead. Um, this isn't going as well as I would like to so far. So we'll just uh, we'll just keep going and see. But so what's your what's your idea about codependency? Like, what do you think codependency really is? Um. I like to take it back to childhood where um, 
often the roots of a codependent pattern uh, um, begin. And so when we, when we've grown up in a, a family where one of our parents or both of our parents, um, we're codependent have, with each other. Well, right. Role model that, or, you know, one of them has needs that are so great that, um, no one else in the family, there's not room for anyone else in the family to have needs. Um, that can set a child up for, uh, not having enough safety to know themselves, to know what works for them, what doesn't, what they like, what they don't like. Um, so they transfer their needs. They they become people pleasers on well, they, some level. They spend right. They yeah. spend so much time out of themselves, um, worrying about is that parent going to be okay? Because if they're not okay, I'm going to die as a child. Like yeah. I'm not going to be okay, and that can take root very early. That sense of you know something's really wrong here. I don't know what, but if I stay outside of myself. Um, looking after other people or, or looking out for trouble, you know, try, right. trying to smooth, uh, stormy waters, whatever, you know, children fall into roles given the family they're born into. And so that can set the scene for a child to, um, have porous boundaries, right? not be able to look after themselves, mm -hmm. not stand up for mm -hmm. themselves, feel like they're walking on eggshells, apologize first. Don't let anyone else, you know, kind of take advantage of them in a way, but they do though. They do let people take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. You know, even though mm -hmm. they they have this sort of idea, of, well, I'm gonna be tough, I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna look after myself. They want to do it that way. But it just their childhood wounding or the childhood programming was so strong, they just fall back into that same old like people pleasing habit. And where they're very good at reading other people, but they're not so good at reading what they what they need themselves. And when you're not good at knowing what you want yourself, you will become a chameleon. You will help somebody else. And because that's a way that people get their identity. Right. And uh, too, when we think about what draws us into relationship, a lot of it can be familiarity. It's sort of like, oh, I know how to be with a person like this. And mm -hmm. so those of us who um, have spent a lot of our childhood outside of ourselves, making our own needs small, uh, we know how to be with somebody whose needs are big. Right. <laughs> and so we may seek that out. And conversely, someone whose needs are really big, physical needs, emotional needs are really big, seeks out somebody who makes themselves small. Right. And so, um, and, and both both roles come out of, um, potentially Trump. come out of a, a childhood where there was some sort of developmental disruption. And so... That's where I begin when I think mm -hmm. about uh, codependency. And um, so when we move into our adult life, um, we, like I was saying, we, we look for a partner who we know how to be with. And so we may not even know we're doing this. We just know, oh, you know, this person's attractive and I know how to be in this role with them. Um, now, there are signs that begin to show up in our adult relationship that, you know, actually this isn't really that healthy. Um, but because it's so familiar, we mm -hmm. stay in it. Like a mm -hmm. lot of codependent relationships are are so intense. They they break up, they come back together, they break up. We all know couples that break up, come back together, break up, come back together. And to me, that is a hallmark sign of a codependent relationship. 
is, you know, breaking up, we broke up. Oh yeah. And you know, you have these friends. It's like, Oh, we broke up. It's like, yeah. Okay. What else is new? Like, this is just par for the course. Right. And I think that codependency because it, it does inflame those old childhood wounds. So people, they cut and run. It's like, you know, I can't stand this anymore. So, you know, you're out. And then they miss each other because of the codependent dance that they do together. And it's like, Oh, I miss you. You know, two days later, they're back together again. So, you know, if you're breaking up with someone every couple of weeks or so, you're probably, it's like Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck, you know, you might be in a codependent relationship mm-hmm. if you find that you've been together a year and you've broken up three times already. Mm-hmm. True. Um, although it doesn't always have to look volatile. You know, if you have two right. two people in a codependent relationship, both of whom avoid conflict, um, a lot of that volatility kind of gets shoved down and can come up as resentment, can come up as in other ways um, in the individuals in the relationship. For example, um, you can have um, physical symptoms that are an indicator that this relationship is not healthy. Um, Yeah. When people can't, when they can't leave a relationship emotionally, they'll start developing like gastrointestinal, vagus type, you know, Mm -hmm. gastrointestinal stuff, heart palpitations, all these kind of things that it's like the energy has to go somewhere. The energy of just not getting your needs met has to go somewhere. And often, and I would see this as a family doctor, I would see it go into their body. Mm -hmm. And we would do all sorts of tests. We'd all, you know, and, and nothing would show up, but yet they were clearly suffering. Right. And so, you know, Oftentimes, these things were present in childhood. They just maybe weren't that noticeable. So, for example, um, we can spend our childhood a little bit numbed out, a little bit um, psychologically dissociated. And, um, you know, it might show up like, oh, you know, in school, she's a daydreamer or, you know, he can't stay in his desk or, um, you know, it shows up in kind of... Here, that was me. um, there are symptoms that are are misconstrued as, you know, a learning problem or a behavioral problem, which are actually, it's actually just a way that we cope with the impossible situation we're put in in our family of origin. And so um, it, 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 it then manifests, manifests itself a little differently in adulthood, whereby... Um, you forget you know, we, to do the vacuuming, or you know, we have we have body pain at points yeah. that is so significant, big one, big one that yeah. we can't get out of bed for days. Yeah. And you know, this is um, this can be an indicator. That, I'm not saying across the board this is an indicator, but it can be an indicator that we are tolerating something that's intolerable for our, ourselves. But because of our childhood, like we had to not notice. We mm. we had to, in order to survive our family of origin, not notice what we was going on in our body, that something was intolerable. And so we develop a number of coping mechanisms that are deeply unconscious um, in order to survive. Yeah. And they they will, you know, they'll carry on into our adulthood because that's how we were wired. Yeah, I find it curious that the codependent label started as co-alcoholic that's how codependency Um, started interesting yeah it started as co-alcoholic because Mm -hmm. you had an enabler and you had an addict and it's kind of like maybe milder forms of that in relationships you know we can be addicted to different things and that our partners can allow or whatever but it's really important to understand that these things are deep 
Like this codependent, it's not like, oh, okay, well, I found out we were codependent. So, you know, we got to find it because chances are you're going to find another codependent. And sometimes because we equate familiarity with, with security as, as children, we will seek out those same mm-hmm. codependent relationships over and over and over again. And because of our own blind spots, because say you had an alcoholic father or whatever, you just stop seeing the alcoholic father as a problem. So you wind up marrying one. Like right. it just, it's, it's, it's so, for somebody on the outside, it's so easy to, for me to see it as a, as a doctor. I would see these families and they would have the same patterns over and over and over again. Now, I didn't know it back then when I was practicing medicine like I do now, but it's so insidious and it's, there's a blind spot there and there's the inability to get out of the relationship. You know it's not fulfilling you. You know it's just fulfilling the old pattern or maybe you don't, but it hurts. And then it comes out in physical symptoms and then you can't leave. You know, that's the thing because we project that, that thing on our partner, like they're the parent we never had, the parent we wanted. So we can't leave that parent because that we're familiar with it. And that was the only kind of form of love that we, we perceived as children. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, this is one of the ways we replicate the patterns that that we experienced in our family of origin. You know, we replicate something similar in the dynamic of the family we were born into. And so um, one of the one of the things we want to be aware of is how this might show up. Like, how do we know that um, a relationship is not healthy for us? And so you know, Russ was talking about volatility in the relationship. Um, I was talking about could, it could show up as physical symptoms, um, you know, or ill health yeah, or, or just spaciness. Chronic fatigue syndrome, mm-hmm. right? It can show up in a number of different ways. And so what we're trying to say is there's not one way this could look, mm. but to be aware of, you know, when resentment shows up in your relationship, to be aware of um, if you have some kind of interaction with your partner where suddenly after you realize like my whole body is aching or I've, I've just got a migraine bloomed, you know, five minutes after we had this conversation, those could be signs that there is something more here to get curious about because that those are responses from the body. Those are physiological messages that we should pay attention to. Because of our blind spots. Mm -hmm. You know, we know something's not right. But as children, we often felt something wasn't right either. But there wasn't a damn thing we could do about it back then. Right. So we fall into that same pattern now of that same kind of frustrated, impotent situation. So we just recreate that same sort of frustration and impotence over and over again in in every relationship that we get into. And often I will see people that that got into these really intense relationships and it's because because that reminds them so much of their childhood. It's like, oh, this is amazing. This is because it's, and I, I think we're always looking for that parent to come back and and be the parent they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And there's that, the child is all always wants that parent to come back and all of a sudden change. You know, but it's not a Hallmark movie and that very rarely happens. So, you know, how do we how do we get past codependency? Well, I think we learn how to say no, you know, in a loving, caring way. And this is one thing I really respected about you in the last sort of six months or so. You're kind of saying, like, no, this is this isn't working with me. This is, you know, whereas before, it's not saying we were codependent, but you would not 
you would just kind of begrudgingly go and, and do it, right? But now you're standing firm. It's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Not so much to me, but to, you know, other people in your life and that kind of thing too. I think it's, you know, and it's, I, I see it in you and it's like, I'm proud of you. It's like, this is great. This is awesome. Except when you do it to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I do think that um, it is a process of learning about yourself. If you didn't have the luxury as a, ch- as a child to explore your inner landscape, um, get to know what it felt like to have your boundaries crossed, you know, have someone role modeling, these are healthy boundaries. Um, you know, having that luxury of being able to know what works for you, what doesn't. Um, we do get into adulthood and uh, have very porous boundaries, not in a relationship, not consider that, you know, because there's two people in a relationship, both people have needs. You know, we're we're very focused then on the other person's needs and and keeping our own needs. Like we don't may not even know we have needs. Like that's how um deep this can run. Some families, yeah. And um so coming into our own sense of self, coming into our own sense of, oh, you know, maybe I can take up a little more space and you know, maybe I maybe I can say no here. Mm-hmm. You know, that for for some people saying no, if we imagine, you know, responses uh, on a menu, so so to speak, um, we may not even have no on our menu. Like it's fallen off the menu as a, <laughs> as I'm a sorry, response. But we don't have no on the menu today. <laughs> that's an option for us. It, it, you know, it actually doesn't exist in right. our experience. And so, you know, those of us who can't say no, we find other ways of um, saying no, but it's kind of you know a slippery or thing. No. Or the body says no. It's yeah. like, yeah, I have to, I have to go to my room now for three days because I have a migraine. Mm. You know, that's one way of saying no, or one way of um, dissociate, dissociating and removing yourself from a situation, from a relationship, from a family. So there are multiple responses that um, are healthier. Well, so, yeah, and that yeah. you know, like. The responses that we see that our, you know, our health isn't great, um, our relationships aren't great, our finances aren't great, those can all be signs that there's something to um, be looked at more closely in terms of our own way of being in relationship. Okay. So, yeah. so learn how to say no is one, which you've been really doing well with the people that are around you, including me. Not that crazy about that, but whatever, you know, it works out. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but but I have seen Sin really in the last six months or so say, no, this is not this is not working for me. And she'll say those exact words. This is not, and she's not angry, but it's like, no, this isn't working for me. And it's like, okay, well, what do we do about that? We figure something out. And then I guess it's on top of that, it's finding out who you are. Like what, because when we're, when we're younger, we either grow into our authentic self if we have this attuned, attached caregivers, or we grow into this reactive self when we start giving to others over ourselves. So often we'll lose who we are and who we feel like. And often when I'm dealing with people, and, and you've told me this too about your clients, is they they start, oh, this is, I like this. Like I, I'm really, I, I can stay with this. I, I like this. And I guess too is is really being able to stay with discomfort. Because if you do re- leave the relationship or you do say no, there is going to be some discomfort. And in codependency, like that, you 
might only last five seconds before, oh, okay, well, I'll do, I'm, you know, whatever. So, you know, getting used to discomfort because it is uncomfortable mm-hmm. to change that right. pattern that you've had since you were a child because it did allow you to flow through your childhood in, in a certain way without a whole lot of conflict, but you, you just give yourself up. Mm-hmm. And I think one of, you know, the signs of codependency is like you give up on yourself and you don't know any better. So yeah, I think the the missing piece usually is safety. Mm, um, right. That it's not safe actually to have needs. It's not safe to say no in your experience. And so we're in the somatic world. That's what we're trying to redress is creating the conditions that there's enough safety in a relationship where no just organically becomes um, one of the options on the menu. Mm. Yeah, and then so it's not this kind of mechanical thing. I mean, it may be in the beginning that, you know, we have to work really hard to say no, but what we're, the direction we're heading in, our intention is that no becomes just this organic thing that we know we have the message in ourself, like this is a no for me. And then there's a consistent communication, you know, with that sense in our body. And so it takes some time to get there um, for both of those things to be working in concert, but, you know, we can get there if yeah. the conditions are conducive and, you know, we are, we're in a, a relationship where there's enough safety that we can begin to take up more space. We can, we can begin to have boundaries that aren't so porous and, you know, work in that direction with a partner, with a sibling, with a friend. Um yeah, and and it you know neurologically you know when you say no and you're not saying it as a screw you to someone else you're just saying that this doesn't work for me in your brain you'll start secreting through the periaqueductal gray the brainstem you will start secreting endogenous opiate your own morphine which will come up to support you because even though everything in you is saying I don't want to say no at this point. But if you do say no and you kind of lean in on your on the balls of your feet as opposed to getting back on your heels, you'll start secreting dopamine through your mesolimbic and mesocortical dopamine systems, which will tell you, I'm on the right track here. I'm actually looking after myself here. So as much as it's uncomfortable, your brain will come up to support you. Now, if you fade back on your heels and you go, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I should have done this or, you know, just be aware, like be aware of what your pattern is. Is your pattern to give in all the time? I would have couples come in to see me when I was a doctor and they would say, yeah, we never fight. And I would say, well, which one of you gives in all the time then? Because there's no couples that just don't fight. So can you be aware? Can you say no? Can you look after yourself? Can you connect with yourself? Can you tolerate probably negative emotion while you're changing? Because change is painful. Right. And two, um, there might be pushback from the people you're in relationship with because they kind of like that you can't say no potentially. Um, They may, they may, um, you know, this is part of the challenge in relationship of um, bringing our partner with us because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're making a pretty big change by, um, you know, changing the way we interact. We're by, by taking a different step here by saying no, by saying this isn't working for me, um, it's kind of a, it can be quite a shock to our partner, who's never heard this from us before. So this is where, again, communicating with our partner, like, oh, this is something I've noticed about myself, and I, 
I want to try something different. I want to see, can I say no and, and it'd be in, okay. In yeah. And so, you know, what do you then need from your partner? All right. You could say, I, I, when I'm saying no, or when I'm trying to say no, um, can I let you know I'm trying to do it? It's can hard I, for me. Right? Yeah. Can I let you know that this is, I really want to say no here, but I'm afraid and I feel my fear response coming up, like I'm leaving myself, whatever's happening. Um, communicate that to your partner and then you potentially agreed beforehand that your partner's going to go, look, you, you can say no. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get really angry with you. I'm not going to storm off. I'm right like that that this is agreed ahead of time that your your partner is aware of what's going on for you and so this is how we kind of can set conditions that there's more safety for us to be able to expand into so yeah and i think it's just understanding that and you can bring your partner into it say you know when i was younger speaking for me everything was done for me you know my mother did everything for me so it's hard for me to remember to do these things around the house because it was always the programming. So, but I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to do something differently. I'm trying to remember to do this more often. And I am, I am for sure, but it does take time and you've got to be with a partner that can sort of see this is what happened to me in my childhood. You know, I started looking after, this is me personally. I started looking after my dad. I started looking after my mom. So I got into this real caregiving mode for sure. Now, I think one of the reasons why Cynthia and I get along so well and we have such a good relationship is because we're both givers. We both help, you know, and and when we first met, it wasn't like it was like rockets and fireworks and oh my God, this is the most amazing thing in the world. It, was it wasn't? Pre- it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. Like it was pretty good, but there was a sense, at least in me, it's like, you know what? This person is really kind of grounded and they're really, you know, you had two sons this this is something like this could actually work because in the past I did get into a tremendous number of codependent relationships. That's why I've been married three times. Third time's a charm, by the way. And and you know, it's just like recognizing your own patterns and and understanding that there will be a draw to go back to that old codependent part of you because it was familiar to you in childhood. So it's being able to really have awareness around, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what's creating problems for me. And it's also creating partners problems for the partner. And you can say that. It's like, I want us to have the best relationship we can, we can. And I'm finding that I'm resenting you because I'm giving all the time. You know, but you don't want to say it in that direct kind of t- term, but you can sort of bring it up. Otherwise, resentment's just going to rot your relationship. Yeah. And, and this is where it's helpful to have a third party whose objective um, potentially support you and your partner. Um, because this is really vulnerable territory. This can be very volatile territory. Um, and so um, I, I wanted to mention that because this is not easy mm. <laughs> um, to navigate alone, um, just you and your partner. So that's kind of a just a heads up. Yeah. And before we wind up, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like you know, when we met, it was kind of like, oh, well, whatever. You know, it wasn't like I was, there was a very, very powerful attraction, but there was something different about you. Like there was something than compared to my previous relationships. It was like, this is somebody that I could actually have a partnership with instead of having this sort of, you know, volatile um, relationship with, which has classically been, you know, how I 
how I would go with relationships was they'd be very volatile and they would, you know, run their course in a couple of years. And I didn't want that anymore. So I was able to see in her, because we met at a personal development retreat, I was able to see in her and say, hey, this person's really loving and caring. It's, here's a person, this is, a, this is a person that I am not going to have to care give, right? That I can actually accept some care from. And it's not that my previous partners weren't caring. It's not that. It's just the fact that I just really saw in Cynthia like this level person that it's like, okay, I, you know, this, this would be a really nice partnership. And it has been, you know, we've been together over 10 years now, which is awesome, which is a record for me. <laughs> yeah, it is awesome. So that's where we're going to wind it up this week. So thanks for joining us again. Um, number two for you. How do you feel? I feel pretty good. Yeah, I think you did great. And I will... We will, we will see you next time. Thank Bye. you. Bye. See ya. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if the Anxiety Rx podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book. Also, coincidentally, called Anxiety Rx. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you the next time on the Anxiety Rx podcast.